There's no such thing as guilty pleasures, only pleasures. And I think Van Helsing Prep is a real pleasure. You've seen it? Yes, in your character, it's reminiscent of Tess of the D'Urbervilles. Thank you. And welcome to an all-new episode of No Guilty Pleasures, a pop culture podcast. I'm your host, little-known cartoonist, (laughs) Ken Holtzhauser. And today we're going to go through some of the back alleys of pop culture and find pleasure in some of the strangest of places. So please, join us on this journey. Let's go! Oh boy, this movie. This movie is great. I... Um, this is actually one of my, um, this is one of my favorite little treats to myself. I discovered it, uh, late at night on cable as you do. And it's just one of those things that, uh, everything about it seems ridiculously improbable. A Brian De Palma directed rock opera featuring music from Paul Williams. (laughs) It's, uh, it's absurd in the best kind of way. Phantom of the Paradise comes out a full year, by the way, before the Rocky Horror Picture Show and beats it to the punch with everything. This is um, arguably a much better movie than the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Uh, partly, it's it's filmed better. Uh, it's, it's shot better. Uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show has a spectacular first act and then it kind of falls apart afterwards all of the stuff with uh, Rocky doesn't hold up as well as all the stuff with Dr. Frank where this movie well this movie holds together pretty much all the way through and largely due to the fact that it is a, a pastiche of a lot of different horror movies there is obviously Phantom of the Opera as the sort of skeleton of the movie, but you've also got Faust, and you've got Frankenstein, and you've got a little bit of the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, and uh, you've got a little bit, or actually more than a little bit, of the Portrait of Dorian Gray going on. It is, um, well, it's just an odd mashup. The movie uh, revolves around a struggling songwriter uh, played by uh, William Finley. He plays Winslow who will become the Phantom. He's trying to sell um, the biggest record producer in the world, a man named Swan, who is uh, a little bit like the devil played by Phil Spector. And uh, (laughs) he is played by Paul Williams. He's trying to sell Paul Williams on this uh, rock opera that he is writing about Faust which uh, I don't know if that's a layer of irony or just really uh, good coincidence, but he's writing this musical, and um, Swan likes the musical, doesn't much like Winslow. So Winslow's work is stolen. Uh, He is uh, beaten and left for dead. Uh, They plant drugs on him so the police can arrest him and throw him in prison. Uh, He gets horribly disfigured. Uh, Winslow is a a capital L loser in every kind of a way. The mangled and disfigured Winslow had one bright spot before he got uh, wrapped up in Swan. And that is he had the chance to meet a young woman who was auditioning to be a singer in the musical uh, named Phoenix. She's played by Jessica Harper. Jessica Harper is one of those actresses that um, a lot of different directors found amuse in. She's in Stardust Memories. She's in Suspiria. 
I spent a lot of Phantom of the Paradise going, where do I know her from? Where do I know her from? I know her from the uh, the sadly little regarded movie My Favorite Year, starring Peter O'Toole. She's she's great in a great movie there. Anyway, she is. Uh, well, it's hard to see her as anything other than sort of a prototype Linda Rodstadt character. She comes in and she is impossibly pure and wants to perform as a singer where uh, it's a rock and roll mentality and they're looking for groupies as much as they're looking for singers. And she's not very excited by that. Turns out Linda Rodstadt actually was approached for this role. There was another young actress that was up for this role named Sissy Spacek, who um, didn't get the role, but got to be a set designer because she was dating somebody on the crew at the time. And of course, Sissy Spacek would go on to star in De Palma's Carrie. So keeping it all in the family. Uh, Winslow, as I said, is smitten by Jessica Harper, and he wants his musical, he wants revenge on Swan, certainly, but more than anything, like any uh, any true musician, he wants his work performed. He he disguises himself in a spectacular sort of owl-based leather costume and starts uh, haunting the, the Paradise Theater, which is uh, where Swan is going to be performing his great rock shows. And um, he starts killing and destroying and maiming and doing bad things because he's a bad guy. Um, and he is found almost immediately by Swan, who then makes an offer to him to uh, give him the ability to do his musical with Phoenix as the star. Um, he's very excited by this, but of course, <laughs> since uh, Paul Williams Swan is a manipulative little devil, nobody quite gets exactly what they want out of this deal. There's twists and turns. Phoenix is replaced in the movie by sort of a glam rock hero named Beef, who is played by Garrett Graham, who is honestly one of the most scene-stealing actors you'll ever find in a movie. I remember seeing him in used cars uh, back in the day, and uh, he'll whenever he pops up on television or in films, he is always a very welcome presence. He's just great. Uh, and his performance as... Um, this glam rock Frankenstein named Beef is pretty hilarious. He doesn't provide his own singing voice, but let's be fair. It's a movie. Come on. Um, the movie itself, I don't want to give away too much of the twists and turns of it, but um, the movie itself is a very strong uh, satire of what the rock and roll world was like in 1974. Uh, Swan has a group that he... Uh, that is his uh, his his band, his management, his whatever, uh, the biggest band in the world, and they're called the Juicy Fruits, and they play a sort of Sha-Na-Na-esque um, 50s-style rock and roll, which is very interesting. Um, Greece would have probably just hit Broadway, so... Um, the, the country wasn't quite wrapped up in 50s nostalgia just yet, but was going to get there. They morph into another band, which is a sort of a Beach Boys parody, before they settle on a really dark, like, monstrous glam rock look that um, is very prescient for Kiss 
and Alice Cooper and uh, even, you know, Marilyn Manson going forward. It's it's really interesting. The songs are are really kind of cool. Um, there's uh, there's a few. Well, if you're familiar at all with Paul Williams, you'll know the songs. You'll know what you're getting out of the songs. Paul Williams was a very uh, prolific songwriter himself, so the music industry was not exactly a surprise to him. He had uh, he had written songs for Three Dog Night or for uh, the Monkees, and um, he is most famous composition I'll wager is the Rainbow Connection from the Muppet movie and he will go to songwriting Valhalla for writing that one all by itself let alone some of the other songs uh, an old-fashioned love song or uh, someday man or any of those other songs they're all terrific he's he is kind of a an elven little person which makes his performance as quote-unquote the devil that much more interesting. He's quiet and he's measured and he's he seems small and inoffensive and that gives the performance a lot of power. He he ends up being a little creepier and a little more menacing because it's not the obvious way you would do it. I mean, if you were going to have a movie where the devil was a record producer, you would probably want to hire somebody uh, menacing. You'd probably want to hire somebody like Christopher Lee or somebody like that. But in fact, uh, the uh, the verisimilitude of it being a uh, a young and small and seemingly non-threatening Paul Williams makes that a more powerful performance. Side note: Paul Williams will eventually become the voice of the Penguin on Batman the Animated Series, and he is a terrific voice actor. I mean, obviously he can sing and and write songs and all this kind of stuff, but there's a musicality to his voice that's fascinating, and it really helps sell this performance, too. The fact that there is an almost musical nature when he speaks, and he speaks in a silky kind of half-threatening, half-seductive way to everybody, and it's really worth your time. The movie is is all of the all the things you can think of with Brian De Palma, whether it is um, <laughs> overt ripoffs of Hitchcock or split screen or any of the things that you think of when you think of the work of Brian De Palma is all very much on display in this film, and it's all really effective. The end song for the movie is a composition called "The Hell of It." that Paul Williams sings and he would perform that song on uh, the Brady Bunch Variety Hour and he would perform it in a uh, a TV movie that I did an episode about last year for the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew Mysteries when they met Dracula so I've already gushed a little bit about how great that song is it's probably my favorite song in the film is it the best song in the film I, I that's for you to decide it just happens to be my favorite it's available on DVD. It's been newly established on Blu-ray, and I'm sure that it's streaming somewhere. That said, uh, the Fox Movie Channel and Turner Classic Movies both like to run Phantom of the Paradise a lot. They like to run these... It's kind of a that cult classic late-night thing that you do. And so uh, I would recommend you find it 
and watch it. Of all of the movies that maybe you've never heard of that I've talked about on this podcast, this is one I think you will really be rewarded to watch because it's very much ahead of its time. And again, I hate to say, it's better than the Rocky Horror Picture Show. You'll, I think you'll really dig it. The Phantom of the Paradise. And I'll catch you next time on No Guilty Pleasures, a pop culture podcast. Twentieth Century Fox presents Phantom of the Paradise, a gothic horror story. What was that? A beautiful love story. A cinematic odyssey through the rock universe. From Greece to glitter and beyond. The story of a sound, the man who created it, the girl who sang it. The monster who stole it, and the phantom who haunts the paradise, the ultimate rock palace. Phantom of the Paradise. My music is for Phoenix. Only she can sing it. Anyone else that tries, dies. Phoenix. Phoenix. Well, you told me one time that you'd be somebody that you weren't working just to survive. Man, you better get yourself a castrato for this. Paul Williams as Swan. And the angels that I want you to stop terrorizing the paradise and rewrite your cantata. And the Phantom. Phantom of the Paradise. There really is the Phantom, Phantom, Phantom. Hello and welcome to an all-new episode of No Guilty Pleasures, a pop culture podcast. I'm your host, little-known cartoonist Ken Holtzhauser. When I mention the name Brian De Palma to you, what do you think of? Do you think of, uh, I don't know, Carrie or Blowout? Do you think of Scarface? Uh, Do you think of one of the most innovative uh, directors of the 1970s? Do you think of a potentially derivative director of the 1970s? Well, you might think of any of those things. Do you, in fact, think rock opera? <laughs> I bet you don't. And that is why today we're going to discuss the 1974 cult classic, Phantom of the Paradise. Looking for something new and exciting in comics? Perhaps that other dynamic duo, The Quick and the Dad. It's a love letter to the DC, Marvel, Archie, and Harvey comics of my youth. Available now in print and digital from IndiePlanet.com. Within the pages of The Quick and the Dad, you will find supervillains, dad jokes, strange, exciting worlds, really goofy supervillains, and bad puns. I promise. 
Each issue will delight and confound you in equal measure. And it's available now in print and digital from IndiePlanet.com.